0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek, and Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars, but what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July, They Shouldn't Have Killed This Dog, The Complete Uncensored, Ass-Kicking Oral History of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the New Age of Action, coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today.
2: the 430 movie.
0: The 430 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. Download it today. Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app.
3: Since Mark was a boy, and since Robert was a boy, they've worshipped one man—the
1: Lawrence Olivier of the airways. What are you doing here?
3: I'm one of the top ten imaginary friends kids have, just behind John Travolta, Reggie Jackson, and Farrah of majors. But oh my God, they're about to discover Don't make a big scene.
4: Mr. Shatner, I would like to say that I think you are the greatest American actor
3: ever. I'm a Canadian. That their lifelong hero... I've got an idea. ...is definitely not of this world. It's a musical version of Julius Caesar. I want to do the complete text. Well, I'll, I'll play Julius Caesar and all the other parts, too.
4: The man I idolized since I was two turns out to be a raving loon.
3: Ouch. And now... My lady friend, she left me. How can that be? I don't know. I mean, you you. He's going to lead them How cool is that? on a voyage Oh, my. to find love Guys, you gotta mix a little reality in with your imagination. that's way stranger than science
1: fiction. I'm not the one with the green girl sex fantasy.
3: Oh, my. Did you see
4: the way that she was peeping you? I don't believe it. I just met the most fantastic
1: female.
3: Claire, you should be happy for her.
1: When Spock got infected by the spores and fell in love with Leela Colomi, he was happy too. But Kirk fought him, made him resist. Yeah, whatever.
3: Who do you see starring in it? Rafer Weigel, Eric McCormick, Audie Englin, Patrick Van Horn, Phil Lamar, and William Shatner.
5: And that Dr. Spock guy with those pointy ears.
3: As Bill. You can call me Mr. Shatner now. No tears for season. Me, like, Evil that men do lives Woo! after them. The good is often turned with their bones. No one will ever believe this. Free enterprise.
5: Love long yeah. and party. Dance
2: yes, with the captain. Oh, yeah.
0: Hey, this is Mark K. Altman.
2: And this is Darren Dockterman. And
0: we are the inglorious Trexperts. and today we're going to prove our bona fides, our bona fides, if you will. We have a very special guest talking about a very special day. You know, it's the anniversary of June 4th. June 4th, as you know, it's the anniversary of some In very special It Comes every year. Comes every year, and every year it's one year more since the release of Poltergeist. It's it's one year more. We're talking Olympics, Diane. <laughs> it's before one more Africa, year since the release. Africa. One more year since the release of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, which I see Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. That's right. Because it was not Star Trek II at the time, it was That's Star right. Trek The Wrath of Khan. But for the three of us, there's an even more significant anniversary. Celebrating its 23rd anniversary. Holy mackerel. Holy mackerel is the anniversary of the release of the motion picture event of the season, free enterprise. And we have none other than the director, co-writer, and editor of that film with us, America's Sweetheart, Robert Meyer Burnett.
6: Well, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to be invited back on The uh, I feel we're all Inglorious in our own ways, and uh, it's great to be here for this uh, esteemed anniversary.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, remember, Rob, it was so crazy. It was so crazy because when we sold the film, when we, so- we sold the film, we, we actually had, had just um, got a bunch of awards. We'd been at a bunch of film festivals all around the world. We'd been in Cannes with Bill Shatner. Uh, but the-, the place we sold the film was at the Winnipeg Film Festival. It just proves no festival is too small. In the dead of winter. In the dead of winter, we're up in Winnipeg and a guy from this new theatrical release uh, company Um uh, uh, called uh, Regent Pictures at the time saw the movie, flipped over it, wanted to release it, wanted to release it right away, yep. and um, and they said we're gonna we want we we think a good day to release is it. June fourth, a week after the Phantom Menace opens, and uh, Rob and I were ecstatic. They couldn't understand why we were so happy. I'm like, don't you know? Don't you understand? June fourth is the anniversary of Star Trek II and Poltergeist.
6: It's a good opening we thought at the time. Where where in our own movie they go and see Star Trek II, it was crazy, full circle. It's still it's true because of course
0: they go to see. Yes, they go to see, you know, and it's so funny, Rob. I have to tell you, is the character of Mark in Free Enterprise is celebrating his birthday by taking his going with his friends to see Star Trek two. And it's his birthday movie, he says. And uh, when Darren and I were recently hosting uh, the Q&A at the American Cinematheque for Star Trek 2, some guy came up to me very tentatively, very sweet, and said, I just want you to know today is my birthday. And I had to come see it because it's my birthday movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that meant so much to me. I, I love that. I love that.
6: Well, I, are people who are listening to this podcast now? Do they even know what we're talking about? Well, that's the thing. We don't know.
0: Some do, some don't. Because, of course, the movie's twenty three years old. Yeah, that's, that's that's a
6: lot in dog years. It's a it's lot. Been,
2: it's been drinking for two years, for crying out loud.
6: Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's kind of funny because I don't. You know, you don't walk around and recite your resume to people, and I found that ten years ago years ago people always came up to me to talk about free enterprise no one does anymore right because it's unavailable yeah you know it's out of print it's not streaming it's very hard to get unless people look it up yeah
0: let's uh, answer that question because i'm sure that's on everybody's mind. The, here's the thing i you know people you know people associate the movie with rob and i there's the characters are named go figure rob and mark and and obviously we're the filmmakers we do not own the movie. We have no control over the movie. Right. If we did, the movie would be out in 4K. We've been approached by more companies than I can tell you who want to remaster the film, want to release it. You know, it's not up to us. The people who own the movie, it's up to them. So we're we're powerless to uh, to do anything yep. with it. So obviously, we're as hopeful and optimistic as you are that this movie will come out one day. Uh, in 4K and streaming, and that you all get to rediscover the magic.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely am interested in. I, I haven't touched the movie since 2005, when I did the five-year mission edition of it. Frank, <laughs> or know, that A, was yeah. that, which came out in 2006, when it finally came out. You know that was 16 years ago, and um, you know I haven't looked at it. You know, si- I've looked at it, but I haven't you know touched it since then. But what's touched what's the creator? Of, what's really interesting. Mark, is is that I think, you know, we made a movie that was about fandom, a particular time of fandom before that fandom
2: actually blossomed.
6: Yeah. Yes. And that's exactly what I was going to say. The world of fandom has completely changed. Mm -hmm. And and it's almost like like we what was very funny was you kind of were the ringmaster of a group of of professional fans that came to LA filmmakers, writers, uh, uh, people that worked in the film business. And, and we all sort of ended up rallying around a magazine that you had created that Larry Flint published, which was sci-fi universe. And I, I created friendships there. I met people there, people like Jeff Bond, you know, yeah, free books issues I have my,
0: legal. I remember.
6: Yeah. Very land. And it was, but what was so interesting was that was that there was not a lot of us you know, there was not a lot of us that heard like the clarion call of the aliens to tell us to go to devil's tower. And we all kind of had met each other. And, and so we made this movie that was a reflection of our friends. And, you know, you would coin the phrase that the, for sci-fi universe, it was for sci-fi fans with a life, Yeah. you know, playing off of that whole idea of Shatner's uh, Saturday night live speech, which, which when we all met, wasn't even 10 years old then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Oh, the the oh, idea
0: I was going to say the idea of this Algonquin Geek Table that it was people that were very presumably smart who were interested in the subject matter and you know we had a very deep bench of of of, of passionate uh, fans you know Gabrielle you know Stanton who ended up obviously running. Um, uh, uh, the Flash, and he's gone on to much success in television. Kay Rindell, who's been on this show and gone on to much success in in in, in, in television. Uh, you, me, Darren, uh, Dan Weber, who was a, a showrunner on Futurama and and on many shows, and um, you, I, I could name ten other people that were involved mm. in this little algonquin detail, probably twenty. Um, and 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 who 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 have all, to one extent or the other, become, you know, very well known and geek geek geek. Uh, Ashley didn't come along till later, obviously, um, because of your association. You discovered
6: it much later through your friendship with Zach. But the thing is, um, well, that- Zach, I met Zach, Zach Stentz, you know, who wrote Thor and X-Men First Class with Ashley because he was a fan of Free Enterprise. Right. right. And he was a writer for Entertainment Weekly. And he, he sought me out. Yeah. And he wrote about the movie for a couple of different outlets. But here, here's the thing.
0: Darren, tell us what is this movie about this free enterprise? People have heard us mentioned on the show, as Robert mentioned, it's very hard to find. Uh, uh, if so, people aren't familiar.
2: What is free enterprise? Free enterprise <laughs> is the story of um, fan professionals who are just on the, on the beginning of their professional lives. And they're trying to make it. And they're trying to deal with the fact that their lives are screwed up. Do to no small part, the fact that they are devoted to various science fiction and fantasy uh, IPs, let's say.
4: I don't suppose it would mean anything to you to know that I have the Japanese import box set of all five Planet of the Apes on laser disc letterboxed.
1: What about your home theater system?
4: Dolby Digital 5 tracks surround with a 40-inch screen.
2: Not bad, subwoofer?
4: No, I uh, I live upstairs in a duplex. You know, neighbors.
2: Huh. I see. I have a Migo Isis action figure, um, and their though their devotion to these things and their fandom is an energy that they can uh, get power from. Um, they have not yet learned to control it, <laughs> much like the Force, uh, and both of them, Rob and Mark strangely named um they uh seek out their childhood imaginary friend william shatner and uh and they through a a strange twist of fate they meet him and discover that it's not necessarily uh enjoyable or preferable to meet your heroes because they may not be what you expect i don't believe it it's bill
1: Okay, just be cool. Don't stare. He'll go blind. And he's perusing porno. All right! I gotta go over there and talk to him, man. What, what do you... No! All around the world, from as far off as the Caspian Sea, people have been running up to Bill and acting like idiots. Why must you be one of them? Because now it's my turn. I mean, don't you want to go over there and
4: talk to him and see what he's like? I mean, William Shatner made us who we are today. But do, do you want to insult the man? Just respect his space. I do respect his space. It's the final frontier. Oh, just just be
1: dignified, you know? Don't do anything stupid. All right. Calm, cool, and collected. We'll make a big scene. Oh, good. I've been looking for... Mein Kampf.
4: Uh, sir, I just... Uh, Mr. Shatner, I would like to say that I think you are the greatest American actor ever. I'm a Canadian. Well, then, may I just say that you are the greatest Canadian actor ever. <laughs> there aren't that many of them. Well, if I may, sir, just say that I have a tremendous amount of respect for your work as a writer, a director, a thespian, and an entrepreneur. Listen, um, we don't want an autograph or anything like that. I was just wondering, um, what brings you here?
3: I'm trying to find something to read. You buy books? Otherwise, it'd be shoplifting.
4: <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. We, we, we don't want we're, we're not. We, we were just wondering if we could maybe we could buy you a drink or something. I mean, we're really we're not the usual kooky fans. No.
0: Right. Yeah, I've always said it's about two uh, dysfunctional guys who meet their childhood idol and find out he's more screwed up than they are. I mean, that in yeah. a nutshell is what it is of course the childhood idol we're talking about is none other than Bill Shatner.
5: What are you doing here?
3: I think I ought to tell you that that uh, Aryan youth is going to kick you into oblivion.
1: But what about in an arena when Kirk fought the Gorn? That giant lizard monster was three times as big as him.
3: My boy, that was a TV show. I used a stunt double. I always use a stunt double, except in love scenes. I insist on doing those myself.
0: Now, before we talk about how did we get Bill Shatner in our movie, which is you know, the, the 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 incredible story in itself. I have to say, you have to understand how we all came to meet initially. Now, Rob, of course, was working for Charlie Bands. At Full Moon. Full Moon, uh, doing really, you know, low-budget B-movies. And Rob would elevate them through his editing <laughs> to make them... Better than they had any right to be. Uh, I, of course, as Rob alluded to, was running a magazine called Sci-Fi Universe for Larry Flint and uh, that, you, Darren, that you created, that I created, right? And Darren was um, doing a show called Talk Trek. Um, well, the convention on the
2: air. I had also been working in the industry for, you know, of course, but that you relevant, worked on the Abyss important. and you worked yeah. on
6: Exorcist Three and you worked yes, on it. You had I, a long list of credits. As
2: a lark, I, I yes. worked on this on this actual radio show called Talk Trek. And as a and, Mark, uh, I was... That's um, right. And as a Mark, you came on at one time. Yeah, I um, didn't. It was uh, it was this uh, strange... It was much like a podcast before podcasts ever existed. Um, and uh, we talked about Star Trek every week on a local Los Angeles radio uh, channel. And uh, then later on nationwide on what was called the Cable Radio Network, which played behind the, uh, the uh, channel listings uh, on your cable stations. But... Um, through that, I met Mark, and Mark brought along this uh, friend of his called Rob Burnett, and that's how we met on the show. That's how we yeah. met, and and of course, the way I met Rob was Full um, Full Moon was going to
0: do a big screening at Comic Con of a movie called um, Oblivion. Oblivion with George Takei.
6: Oh, bye. Cowboys and Aliens. And so
0: they had contacted me to see if we would co sponsor this screening with them. And they, they, they had robbed running points. So Anyway, long story short, everything that possibly could go wrong did go wrong, but we persevered. And Rob oh, no,
6: Now no, hang on a second. I have to say that I had already been a huge fan of yours because you had written the definitive um, retrospectives every season on "Star Trek: The Next Generation. And uh, for Cine Fantastic magazine, they were like a hundred pages every episode, but you also wrote these incredibly in-depth profile pieces and delved into the production. And not only did I learn a lot about, I mean, if you wanted to know about how Star Trek was being made, your articles and accounts of each season were definitive. There was nowhere else to go to get that kind of material and that kind of understanding and insight into how the show was produced. So I was a huge fan of yours. Um, because your articles were so insightful in terms of how does not just Star Trek, but how is a modern television show produced? And at the same time, you also reviewed the show and you, you, you were, you were, you wrote fair reviews. If you didn't like something, you, you didn't just up to, you were writing, um, these definitive articles and they let you in to the production, gave you all this access. And I thought that those articles that you were writing were actually very important, not just for Star Trek fans, but for anybody that was interested in how a television show was produced at that time.
0: Okay, so since Rob chose to share this part of the story, I will share the rest of the story. So the publicist at Full Moon says, so there's this guy over here at Full Moon who's a huge fan of yours. So would you talk to him? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want to talk to somebody who's a huge fan of mine. <laughs> and he said, no, he's okay. He's a good guy. He's smart. He's not like a, your usual kooky fan. And I'm like, fine, but like, I, you know, I'm, I have to find a way to get off the phone call quick if he's a lunatic. So uh, anyway, Ron, I totally hit it off. And then we did the, we did the event. And uh, yeah. as I said, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong the buses didn't show up to pick the people up and uh, peter david was reading excerpts from who'd written the script to oblivion was reading excerpts from his books to the six people that were there and uh it was the whole thing was a mess but we all went drinking had a good time so um anyway so rob and i became friends our, our, you know we, we started going out with a bunch of our friends And we had these little routines where we would go out laser to shopping and we'd go out to, you know, Tower Records or or Virgin Megastore at midnight when things would go on sale for the week. This is before Amazon. So at midnight, they could put the titles for the week out um, that would go on sale on Tuesday. Because And then we started playing
6: beach volleyball every Saturday for like eight years. Yep, yep, exactly. Exactly. And well, again, that's the beauty of it. So um,
0: the... um, so, so we had this little routine and yeah you know, some of these laser sales would happen once or twice a year and we'd drive out and we'd get online at like four in the morning um you know waiting for it to open because we didn't want to miss the good discs and uh, it was insane you know and like before Phantom menace we would all line up at toys R us for you know hours could seem like days and um you know buy all these 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 toys and, and things like that so at, at one point our good friend kay Ridal said you know, this is so bizarre, this whole lifestyle. It's so bizarre, you guys should but make a movie out of it. Before that. But,
6: yeah, well, I was going to say what was bizarre. We were all trying to work our way up in the entertainment business. And and we we're working at sort of, in my case, at a very low budget level. And you, Mark, you had your own publishing empire, but you wanted to get into into uh, movie making as well. And, you know, all of us were we were all aspirational. We were all like scrappily working our way into the entertainment business at the same time that we were doing these fan pursuits.
0: Yes, that's true. Just beginning the adventure. Exactly. The new adventure was just beginning. Perfect. So, um, so, uh, you know, she, she had mentioned it in passing. And of course, uh, you know, everyone thinks their office or their thing, everything is the most interesting thing. This would be a great TV show. It never is, never is. And, uh, but for whatever reason, I, the, the muse struck me that night when I was, I guess I was bored and uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, and we've just seen swingers recently too, which was obviously yeah. influenced, but um, which was really our life in LA at the time. It was like almost like a documentary
6: about our life. Well, to the point of, you know, I've been working with Peter Billingsley who was good yeah. friends with Favreau and, and Vince Vaughn. So before what, well, while they started to make swingers, I knew all those guys. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd been hanging out with them and going to Los Feliz to the Derby or to the yeah. 101 coffee yeah. shop and or whatever. Yeah. It was yeah. Yeah. Right. Dress, it was so weird. Yeah. So, so
0: um I started noodling around with this thing, which at the time was called Trekkers. And it was basically play it again, Sam, which the Woody Allen movie, Herbert Ross movie where Woody Allen play, where um Woody Allen conjures up humphrey bogart to give him advice about wine women and song and in the case of uh, rob and i uh, rob and mark in this movie uh it was bill shatner who had all the advice guys
3: you gotta mix a little reality in with your imagination to achieve happiness in your life and you've got to overcome your programming which in your case is a 30 year old television show i mean come on Let me tell you you a story. I was jogging one evening around my neighborhood and I came across a a house on fire, and the crowd had gathered, and the the fire engines hadn't come yet, and the the crowd all turned to me and said, look, there's Captain Kirk, and this guy came running over, uh, turned out to be the father, and he said, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk, my my child's in the burning building, please, you gotta gotta save my kid, please go. So what was I gonna do, argue with him? I was Captain Kirk. So I found myself running into the burning building. Now I'm looking for the kid, and it's the fire and the smoke and the and the heat. And I, so I got down on my hands and knees because I had seen Rescue 911, and I was crawling around in the, in the in the dark. And the smoke is in my lungs. I'm coughing. I can't see it, and I'm calling Kid. Where are you, Kid? No Kid. Kid's not answering. I'm calling Kid. Kid, Kid, no Kid. And I'm dying. I mean, the flames are burning me up so I gotta get out of there so I'm coughing and hacking the masonry's falling all around me and I back out and I get outside and there I see the kid playing on the lawn. The kid had jumped out of the window. Father had caught him. He's playing on the grass. The father's fine he's playing on the grass. The crowd is playing on the grass. The crowd all turn around looking at Mr. Captain Kirk. They're all laughing at me I felt like such an idiot. Then I realized I'm not Captain Kirk. I'm not a hero. I didn't have the kid. I felt absolutely
0: ridiculous. But I had to try. So um, (laughs) Rob and I got very excited about this script of ours. And um, we we, we put together something that we thought was very funny. You know, and it's like, but, you know, other than, uh, you know, we had a bunch of paper, but how is it going to become celluloid? So um, fortunately, Rob at the time was editing a picture for a producer who slipped in the script. They got excited about it through various machinations. We were introduced to another group of financiers who um, decided they come up with the money. And it was funny because the man who ultimately did finance the picture, one of the big reasons was because his brother used to make fun of him as a kid for liking Star Trek. And he was very successful in other fields. But he was like, ultimately still had this chip on his shoulder about how his brother tormented him over his love starter. So he ended up financing the movie. So now we were a go picture. But the problem being, we didn't have the one thing the movie hinged on, which was William Shatner.
6: We were naive enough to think that he would just do it because (laughs) we wrote this script that was all about our love of him. And it was so
0: flattering. How could he not? How could he not be charmed? By by the, the hero worship evident in the script. So we wrote what he now refers to as the tear stained letter. This is a letter, oh, because oh, he had he had actually turned us down a couple of times when we made the offers to his agents. So we sent um Bill, uh, as we would later <laughs> refer to him, as the um, the tear stained letter. And we talked about his brilliant comedic chops, never mentioning Star Trek. We mentioned yeah. Him in the ABC's Fridays and how great he was in um Saturday Night Live. And I think, um, you know, we 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 may have even talked about Airplane 2. I don't know if we did or did. But uh but anyway, we wrote this wonderful letter, you know, telling him how much it would be the thrill of a lifetime and how much this film and how much he meant to us and how funny he is and how perfect he would be, and um, you know, how the movie, you know, was like playing against Sam, yada, yada. So Rob and I are just morose over the fact that it doesn't look like we're going to get Shatner dreams in Hollywood are shattered. And our assistant is on the phone and says, she says, Bill Sh- William Shatner is on the phone for you. And we laughed because we knew that everyone knew we were desperate to get Shatner and there was no way he was calling. And maybe it was Darren doing his very, very good imitation. It was probably but, me. So uh, she goes, no, it, it really is William Shatner. So put him on speakerphone and he goes, hello, gentlemen, this is William Shatner. And we're like, Oh my God, it really is Darren's voice does good imitation, but not that good. So, um, and he goes, he goes, you guys, you've written a very funny script, but I'm not doing your movie. And it was like, what the hell? Why is he calling to tell us he's not doing our, this makes yeah. no sense. I would have your agent, you know, say, you know, why would you engage with us? And, and we're like, and, and of course we look at each other and like, well, is there anything we could do to convince you? And he goes, no. And we're like, Oh my God, we're sunk. And then the Shatner paused and he goes, well, maybe there's one thing. And then we knew, then we knew, I think for the first time that this movie was going to happen. We knew yeah. there was a way. And, uh, and we said, well, what, what could we do that would make you do the movie? He goes, well, you've written me as a God, a guru, a hero. He says, I'm not any of those things. I'm a fucked up guy. And we're like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm not. I, 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 I I'm embarrassed to sign autographs. And Rob and I are like, really? And he goes, yeah. I said, what can we do that would make it interesting to you? He goes, well, write me as a fucked up guy. Well, what what kind of problems would you have? He goes, girls. And we're like, okay. And then we start riffing with him and like, Mr. Shatner, this, Mr. Shatner, that. And he goes, call me Bill. And for the next 20 minutes, we are going back and forth. And we're just kicking around creative ideas with him. It's like a writer's room with William Shatner.
6: And it was astonishing. It was astonishing
0: because he knew exactly what he wanted and we knew exactly what to do. And um, and so finally, what were his what were his parting words to you? Well, this is, of- this, oh. this is the best because we said, well, uh, uh, Mr. Shatter, we're so happy. You know, Bill, this is this is great. Thank you so much. He goes, now you can call me Mr. Shatter. We put that in the script. It was very funny. He goes, oh. so I'll read a rewrite. I'm very interested in seeing it, but I'm probably not doing your movie. In fact, yeah, I'm almost
6: sure I'm not. He mentioned there was a Jennifer Lynch, David Lynch's daughter had made a movie called Boxing Helena that, that Kim Basinger was supposed to be in. Right. And he even referred to that on the phone. He said, listen, I don't want to get into some kind of, I don't want to say I'm going to do your movie and then I'm not going to do your movie and I'm going to get sued. He's like, I'm not going to do your movie just so you know, because I don't want to get into a Kim Basinger situation. And I thought that was pretty funny, but he, then he said at the end, he goes, but I'll read the rewrite. I'll read the rewrite. And it's interesting because at the same time,
0: you know, everyone was willing to go forward without him. because so we were we were what two or three weeks away from this how long we'd been trying to get him. And yeah. so we were going. We had we had been scouting, we had been casting.
6: We had um, cast Eric McCormack, Will from Will and Grace. He's the first person that we cast in the movie. And, and Patrick we Patrick Van
0: Horn from Swingers. From was,
6: Swingers. I mean, we had a really Deborah Van Valkenburg. and we had a really good, a really good cast. But we had what a couple was, of
0: table reads. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, in which in which Darren played. Shatner. And um oh, before we cast Eric, I read the role of Mark, which was always funny because people were like, You should play Mark. And I'm like, No, I'm not an actor. No. That's never gonna well, happen. At
6: first, at first, that was a possibility that we were gonna we were gonna play ourselves and make it for some really micro budget. Not ourselves, idea, but, the
0: characters of Robert and right, Mark. the characters right.
6: of, of Rob and Mark. But I mean, we never I don't think you and I ever really wanted to do that because no, we're not we actors. No, absolutely, and, and um it was you know, what was really interesting about the whole thing was, you know, people ask, okay, well, how did you get it financed? And, you know, like you told the story about our financier and why he wanted to finance the movie. But for me, what was so crazy is when I met our financiers, I was actually in New York City at the independent, independent feature film market, which they don't have anymore. And I had edited this movie called The New Gods. And I was in New York and you called me up or you left a message where I was or something to call you. And you said, look, there's a financier who's very serious about financing this movie. And I'm flying out to New York and you and I are going to sit down with him. Remember where? We're At the Plaza Hotel. Yeah. And I had never Before been to Trump the Plaza Before Trump owned it. It was the <laughs> Plaza Hotel. And, you know, we were going to have afternoon tea. And I mean, this was like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, you and I had like a three hour meeting where you and I were riffing and, 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 basically Rob and Robin Mark show, we were very good. I mean, we were very good. And, <laughs> and like at the end of that meeting, he was like, well, boys, okay, I'm going to do this. We'll get you started and we'll send you some money to start. Yeah. Like, we're like, wait, what? Yeah. It was so people nowadays, they never, I've tried to tell people this story. I'm like, you're never going to believe this. Nobody ever believes it.
0: No, no, And that's exactly the way it happened. And we didn't have Shatner. And we didn't have... Nor was it contingent upon us getting Shatner. I mean, we wrote a whole script in which it was a Shatner-esque type guy who would be played by Malcolm McDowell on on a show called Solar Quest. And so the guy comes and gives him advice and he's really, you know, helpful and charming and all this stuff. Then they meet the real actor in real life and he's a jerk,
6: you know? Yeah. And it was... you know, I'll never forget like the first check we got from him. There were no contracts signed, no paperwork, nothing. And it was a six-figure check. And I remember you and I and our other producer, we like go to the we had a bank account that we opened, there's like nothing in it. And we went to the bank with this check. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, just to, to, yeah. and it was like is this check going to explode? Like if we did it. When is it to this going to clear? Because yeah, like- just, it was so it was so crazy that we had this large check from this guy who like you're guilty of something. Uh, yeah, It was so nuts. I mean, it was so this never it hasn't happened since, certainly. But it was so crazy. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. Nuts. I and, mean, was you
0: know, so we had all those bizarre meetings with people like, you know. Juliet Landau, you know, for the role of uh, the Munchkin. And, and you know, I, I always remember when she came into your office, you had all these action. It's like, you know, Rob observatory now, but you had all these action figures and all those toys and she and and then, you know, she looks up and she sees Commander Koenig staring back at her. Says, this is really odd to be here, you know, taking this audition with my dad staring back at me and like you turn <laughs> the action figure around.
6: I, I mean, uh, I just want to point out that as you say this, uh, I just want to say, oh
0: yeah, look at that.
6: <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. It never ends, Mark. It, it never ends. Never ends. No. And, but I have to say that the craziest meeting. So we had this idea that we were going to cast Star Trek actors in bit <laughs> yes, parts, people yeah. that had been not just Shatner, but it was our meeting with Malachi. That uh, Malachi throne. <laughs> yeah. Balakai throne from, for those of you who don't know, he was in the two part episode, the menagerie, Commodore Mendez, You're, Commodore Mendez. And, you know, we wanted him to p- potentially play a role in the film and he came in to meet with us. And, you and I was just like, wow, you know, it was so great. But then if you remember, remember he, we have this meeting with him and we're so excited. And then what does he tell us? He goes, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be in your movie. I'm not here to be in your movie. No, he said he
0: was too classy to play the character of a sleazy B movie producer because the movie starts with Mark uh, pitching this B movie producer um, his idea
1: for a movie called Brady Killer. So let me see if I understand you. This is a serious attempt to meld the sensibilities of Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, and Seven with Generation X angst in order to somehow parlay 70s nostalgia with a couple of bankable foreign sales draws you are virtually guaranteed a 15 million dollar opening weekend and it's called lady killer no 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 brady killer remember that's why the guy only stalks women named marcia jan and sandy brady killer is a it's a metaphor for our times it's 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 pop culture meets high art nick at night meets dostoyevsky it's a great high-concept piece, I'm telling you. It's about the, the death of 70s suburban bliss, which gives way to the, the angst of 90s dystopian fatalism.
0: And uh, in which the serial killer kills only a um, uh, people named uh, Marsha Jan and uh, Greg and, uh, <laughs> and Cindy. And Cindy. And, 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 uh, and it's so funny because, of course, over the years, I've had people come up to me at conventions and everything saying, "Mark, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know you know you've had a lot of success in the business, but that Brady Killer never happened for you." I'm like, "No, it wasn't made up for the movie. It, it wasn't was a-, a real pitch." No, uh, it was. But you remember he pitched us his son? Yeah, he pitched us what? Commodore Mendez, uh, Malachi Throne pitched us his son. But we're like, "Come on, man. We want you to do it." He would have been so great. And you you look at some of the stuff he did, but he didn't want to play this sleazy B movie
6: because he did have a scene where he 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 had a me too moment where he's going to hook up with this. Well, a yeah, woman, we, and
0: then we cut it. So, yeah, we, it's cut cool. it we, we cut it. We cut it. Not even in the movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. Where he, he's, he's with, with this B movie bimbo starlet. And, um and, and we cut it. I wonder if we would have gotten Malachi thrown if we had known then that we were going to cut it. Because no, of course we also probably. wanted to for Marlena, we wanted Barbara Luna, but we couldn't yeah. find her. The casting director couldn't find her. And then she found out years later when we actually got to know her and, um, and and she's heartbroken that she didn't get to play the role.
6: Barbara Luna, of course, played Marlena in uh, Mirror, Mirror, the second season original series episode, Mirror, Mirror. We
0: really should have gotten Joan Collins. I mean, since they didn't do it for generations.
6: I mean, uh, but yeah, we, we,
0: we love the fact... I mean, Chatner, I remember, we said, who should play your love interest? He goes, who's that gap tooth model? And we're like, <laughs> it was Lauren Hutton, and we're like, well, we, yeah. we couldn't get Lauren Hutton. And... Um, So we, we ended up getting pitched Deborah van Valkenberg. Of course, we're both like from the warriors and streets of fire. Yep.
6: Yep. Yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, it was a very, the experience of it was, was really incredible and it was so much fun to make. And we had such a great, a great experience about it. But I, I am struck about how, you know, thinking about it now, when the movie came out in 1999 we were just on the cusp of when the internet exploded. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still took 12 hours to download a trailer for like The Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the internet was not what it was. We we could have used the internet to leverage and and, and grant, get a lot of groundswell, groundswell of support for the film. But we really were, it really was a moment in time that was very fleeting.
0: Well, and filmmaking was changing too. I mean, that was one of the last movies we were involved with. Where we negative, where we cut negative. I mean, yeah. we literally were at the negative cutter where they were physically cutting film. And, you know, I've never had that again on anything other than I think the specials, we also did negative. But everything after that, there was no, none of that. So it was really the end of an era. Um, I still have the film cans for some, you know,
2: it was projected on obviously on film. And it's, and it's right. one of the last movies that was ever released on Laserdisc.
6: Yes, it was. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was. One
6: of the and and it was a it was a really interesting time in terms of you know, the fandom did not have the one thing that the internet has done for fan communities is it's given everybody a way to connect. Right. You know, you either go to conventions or sure you had like the well, the whole earth electronic link, and you had Comp you serve and the early AOL Star Trek fan forums and all that stuff. But it was really, it came out right at the the end of, of one era and the beginning of another.
2: But they were as arcane as dinosaurs compared to the M5. <laughs> well,
0: you know, it's funny because there are a couple of connections to June 4th. Our costume designer had been the costume designer of Poltergeist. Which right. was one of the reasons we hired her because we were such star fuckers at the time. It was like anybody who had any connection ah. to something we love. Yeah, right. So, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and then it was also, um, the Star Trek 2 story where they go and get thrown out of a screening of Star Trek 2 actually is based on something that really happened. We, we went to a midnight screening of Star Trek 2 and Rob got drunk and we basically almost
6: got thrown out of a screening of Star Trek 2 in Maybe? Westwood. No, no, but it was it was a really interesting time. And, you know, I think you asked what it was about. I think the thing that ultimately what the movie was on a on a on a larger level was about friendship and how a a shared interest in all of these passions uh, allowed us to find. I mean, for those people who don't understand coming to L.A., we all came to L.A. in the late 80s or early 90s. And there was a very small group of people that were these passionate genre fans that loved sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. And we would, we would all go to the same events, the same screenings when uh, some like Raleigh studios would have a Dario Argento series when Argento would actually come and we would all meet there or we'd go to these monthly conventions at the Shrine Auditorium and, yeah, and the same revival houses, everybody,
0: Oh, hard boiled at the new art. You know, it's like,
6: yeah. And we would, we would go to these things and you would see the same people. Right. And and it was a, it was not a large community, it was a very sc- sort of smaller, close knit community of people, and and we all sort of became friendly, mm-hmm. and and the movie was kind of it was born out of that, and it was a celebration. I mean, Darren is actually in the movie.
0: Well, because Darren had been so wonderful about coming to all these uh, readings of the script you know, through various rewrites. And obviously there were a lot of rewrites because of, uh, you know, our, our efforts to meet Bill's uh, needs. <laughs> to say, this. And, and and Darren would read it over and over and over again and never, it was always there for us, always a huge champion. So when the time came to actually do the, you know, party sequence at the end of the movie, which originally was gonna be out of Point Doom, um, uh, uh, but it got rained out. But, um, you know, we, we said to Darren, you know, you, why don't we have you in the movie? And he's so wonderful in it.
6: Well, that was another thing about the actual production of the movie was uh, we had the the biggest El Nino condition that had been seen in decades yeah. and things that were planned and things that we had storyboarded. And, and, you know, I'd even taken a camera and had been shooting storyboards at locations like we were going to shoot at a crown books, you know, that got rained out.
0: Oh, I mean, it happened again and again. Uh, uh, They closed the roads to Malibu. So the whole three days at the beach became uh, a change to a soundstage. I remember rewriting frantically while you were out at Jerry's Deli in Costa Mesa, um, rewriting because everything was going to shoot that weekend was no longer going to be able to be filmed in, in, in Malibu. And you're right. I mean, the stuff that ended up being filmed at Golden Apple and Reseda um, it was going to be Creature Features, and that was going to be Golden Apple and Melrose, and it kept changing because our schedule kept changing. Yep. I think even the Iliad was supposed to be, uh, like you said, Crown Books, and you had storyboarded this really great sequence with a lot of camera movement, and you know, and it ended up being the Iliad. And the night we're at the Iliad. It was a downpour. I remember all the electrical oh. equipment and, and Bill's like, I'm not going to get electrocuted. Am I? I mean, he was so great though. He was such, I mean, the schedule kept changing because stuff kept getting rained out. No, it,
6: it was, it was really interesting because people, people, I asked what was your vision for how you want to shoot this movie? And I'm like, uh, survive. We, we had, we had like 40 locations. We had company moves every day. It, it, knowing now, if I would known now what I knew then, I don't think I would have wanted to even make the movie the way we made it. No, absolutely not. Be, because it was absolutely inc- it was insane. It we had this a twenty
0: four day to- movie with multiple company moves virtually every day. Every was, day. I mean, we we, we were in, le- in we pr- were blessed with with naivete of not knowing what we didn't know at the time.
6: No, and and you know it was it was interesting because I knew because I'd been editing, I I knew that you know, would I have liked to have done a lot more elaborate camera moves? Yes. Would I have have liked to have done a lot more stylish, stylistic flourishes? Yes. But the one thing that I, that I got, and I'll tell you something, what's really interesting is if you go back and you look at the movie, no other movie looks like it.
0: Yeah. Tell us about
6: why, why, who the DP was, Rob. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's, what's, what's really interesting was I had been editing this movie for a guy named Michael Nash called Nebraska. And it was, it was shot in 16 millimeter. And I really loved the look of it. And, uh, I met the director of photography, this movie, and he was an, an older gentleman. His name, his name is still is Chuck Barbie. And we got to talking and I'm like, Chuck Barbie, you know, your name Your name's familiar, man. Like, like, like. Why would I know you? And he goes, "Well, you know, I used to work for Douglas Trumbull." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" He goes, "Yeah, I worked for Douglas Trumbull. Like, I made a documentary on the making of Silent Running." I'm like, "Are you kidding?" Like, I had already was a huge fan of his because of the the work he'd done on on this movie Nebraska. I thought what he shot was really really cool, and I couldn't believe it. Like, and then one day he brings in this photograph of the V'ger model from Star Trek, the motion picture. And it was a picture that he had taken a giant, big, big, big picture of. Big Cibachrome of Yeah. Yes. That picture. And, and it was, it was unbelievable. And I was like, Oh my God. So we started talking and I said, one day I'm going to make a movie dude and you're going to shoot it. And this was the movie. But one of the, the, the reason, what was really interesting, we did two things on the movie that I think save it. And, and I, I whenever I go back and look at it, We shot with Kodak vision stocks because of the color and we shot with prime lenses, which is what, you know, John Carpenter and Dean Cundey would shoot all of his early movies with. And the film, you know, while it's not that dynamic, it has the colors and the look of the images are, are very unique. And I don't think any other,
0: very Finnerman ask aesthetic to it,
6: which was intentional. And I had said to Chuck, I said, you know, these as the viceroy of verisimilitude, I told Chuck something. I said, look, these people, these characters live in a, in a world that's slightly heightened. It's more colorful than the world everybody else lives in. And it it really shows. And one of the things that I would love to do is if we ever do get to remaster, not when, well, when we do in 4K, especially if we do it with Dolby Vision, with high dynamic range, the colors in the film are... You look at Swingers, you look at a Kevin Smith movie, other movies of the time, nothing has the color that we have in this in this film. I I have
2: I have to tell you, because you were mentioning, you know, all the the troubles with scheduling and the troubles with, uh, you know, making your uh, making your uh, uh, days. Um, The great thing about that is that we're all familiar with the fact that uh, difficulties help you focus very well. It helps you it helps you determine what is absolutely essential to what you're trying to do. And I think that um, your situation and the way that you could think on your toes uh, because of your background in editing um, helped you, you know, basically block out those scenes from nothing. You you know, you you said that you wanted to prepare more. I think that would have made it a little stale honestly. Well,
6: I also would have been been much more frustrated. You know, Absolutely. and I've been. I'll, I'll tell you, like the night that you actually—that wasn't. No, no, it was. So the the first night we shot the climax, which was this big party, it was a it, to this day it was the longest night at the chaplain, of my life.
0: Chaplain stage at the chaplain the stages,
6: which is now the Jim Henson Studios. Yeah. It took like almost eight hours of a twelve-hour day to, to set up, in. Yeah, to load in and to set up, and I was—it was the only night on the whole show I had a trailer. And I was I was going insane because this is the end of the movie and we couldn't shoot the beach. And I thought we're and I went into the trailer just to be quiet. When I walked into my trailer, all of my friends were in it, yeah. you know, and they're all hanging out. And the cast is across the street in a strip bar, yeah. you know, and, and and I'm just I took a walk. and I'm like, what am I doing? So we had to shoot stuff. So I was shooting. A lot of it didn't make it into the movie, but I was shooting these little vignettes. And Darren, that was the night. That you and I shot with a woman who's no longer with us, Natalie Joy. Yeah, Natalie, Natalie. Joy, uh, who did a scene with you, and it was funny. She was a girl that found a shooting on on uh, Wilshire Boulevard, and she yeah, came and down and and said, Theater. Yeah, yeah, come be in the movie, and, and well, it was very I, funny. Be- so, what was it like? Like, I basically the way I remember it, I'm like, okay, Darren, you know, we're something. gonna shoot. Yeah, and I said, okay, here's the premise, you know. And, and, and I said to Natalie, you know, Darren's going to say, say, get to a point and you just have to say, well, who's that? You know? And I'm like, Darren, do what you do. Like, I didn't really know what you were going to well, do.
2: First of all, I didn't either. It was, it was five 30 in the morning. We'd been there a long time.
6: A long time. Uh,
2: and uh, it's a, it's a blur. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely a blur. Uh, Cause it was then. But I'd done a little, you know, uh, ad libs before, but I just, you know, I wanted to get to that end part where I see Shatner up there. uh, And I was just trying to pick up this girl, you know, but as only a a, a, an ineffectual geek would. (laughs) Uh, But it it was funny because, you know, I was doing my doing my Shatner voice and all that stuff.
6: Yeah, but dude, you know what? It was one of those moments, it was the long, dark night of the soul. But when I saw you do it, I'm like, you know what? It's going to be okay. Because what you did was so good.
2: It was sure fun. It always it was,
6: gets
0: a huge laugh from audiences, that's for sure.
6: You know, well, and 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 that night, like another thing we did was was another uh, another one of our good friends who was a, a champion of the script who who gave us great advice was Alan Spencer, yeah. who was who's been a showrunner and a longtime writer in Hollywood for decades, and we you know, a protege of Mel Brooks and all that. He was always a champion of the script, gave us some great notes. He also, you know, I took him aside. And we shot a little vignette, and I was intercutting these vignettes later. Yeah. But without what he did and without what you did, we wouldn't have been able to. He was like,
0: just let just let me go. And that's yeah. what he did. I mean, all those interstitials were pretty much ad-libbed, you know, yeah. and and, and <laughs> it, it works great. But that was that was the set where Rob's big note to the production designer was, Watch Guardians of Piri, and he gave them the laser disk he said what is this and he said it's a laser disk and um, and uh, i'd like it to look like uh, the planet and guardians of uh, Piri, because originally that's what the beach scene was going to be
6: like yeah and they made they made those, those light yeah. fixtures yeah. that we we're, yeah, we were yeah, supposed yeah. to bury them in the in the sand, sand yeah, you know yeah, and, yeah. and and but we used them anyway you know yeah, and no. it, it was it, it was i mean the, the funny thing about when i look back on that experience it was You know, everybody was working really hard, and we were flying by the seat of our pants, and yet we did have we did have a lot of good people, you know, and and we did like we didn't have to go back and do reshoots. You know, we did do some a couple of pickups because we needed some outside shots. It was a there was one conversation that that I was kind of obstinate about. I'm like, look, we have to shoot this outside. You know, we we couldn't shoot this. I'm like, we have there's got to be the sunset. Got Yonada. The, on yeah. Melrose, that was yeah. an accident. Yeah, yeah, which was great. Um, but it, it was an interesting. It was an interesting time. Uh, it was a very
0: delicate time.
6: A very delicate time. And, and, and yes. it's funny
0: because you know what was so interesting. People always the first question they always ask. And robert you know, I were a lot of Q and A's for this at conventions and at uh, 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 film festivals and, and stuff. where We won a bunch of awards before we came out, but they always ask, "What was Shatner really like?" And we always say the same thing. We say, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. He, he was a gift. He, he, was, he was delightful. And 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 people are like, really? Is that what you're supposed to say? And I'm like, no, he was. He was amazing. And he you was know, so supportive. And, you know, he was the one at three and four in the morning who still had energy. Well, was, you know, it's
6: funny. You know, we have to say that, that you know, we pretty much made our days. We shot at 12, 12 hour days. But there was one day. Yeah that we knew we were going to have to go over. And it was going to be a a, 16-hour day. We're in this big... We had lots of extras. It was our last
0: day, hard out, couldn't stay, had to load out.
6: Had to load out, had to get out of there. And so it was a Shatner day where he had to work for 16 hours. And, you know, we moved all around the club. And the last scenes we shot, you know, with Rafer and and my dad, you know, that last bit. And even my father was... It was so funny because that... Our, both of our fathers were there, and and you know if we get a chance to remaster the movie, I would cut your dad back into the film.
0: Yeah, he'll really appreciate uh, that wherever he is.
6: I know, but I know we can do it. I know we can. Uh, I know we can do it. Um, I think we can. do uh, it. I think we can do it. <laughs> but but it was really interesting because at that at the end, like you said, Shatner was there. He'd been there for sixteen hours. He'd been in every scene we'd shot that day, pretty much, and and he still brought it. Yeah, like there was no. You know there was no hesitation, he was joking with the crew, he was having a, a, a really good time.
0: That was the and, day I told him the Al Pacino generation story because you know he's sitting around, I could tell he was getting a little bored. And somebody, I think it was Darren, even said, Tell him the story. And I told you know, story about he well, was well, your captain, yeah, yeah, exactly, literally. <laughs> um, how you know Al Pacino was such a huge fan. Of, uh, genera- of him in Generations, how much he hated Patrick, but how brilliant he thought Chatner was. Um, the Shakespeare guy. The Shakespeare guy. It took a whole mountain to kill Kirk. But the Shakespeare guy, one rock, ooh, ah, he can't stand it. He's weak. He's no kind of man. But look at Kirk. A whole mountain. And he's still alive. <laughs> because he's twice the man of the Shakespeare guy. And It's was, it was so great. It is the guy who directed Richard the I mean, Third. Yeah, I
6: mean, no, it, it it was a really, it was a lot of fun, and it was, uh, you know, more than that. I mean, everybody sort of came together, and yeah. and and what was really interesting about it was how much, like, obviously, we had a hard time selling the film, but but it went, it won all these awards, it went places, and we couldn't get distributors to come see it. Well, you they know, did it, even
0: with the festivals and stuff. I mean, the biggest look, the biggest problem was, you know, we really got screwed because New Line wanted to buy the film and certain people involved in shopping it said, oh, Miramax and the Weinsteins are going to see it this weekend. Let's hold off. And we're like, yeah, but we got New Line ready to buy the movie right now. So why don't we take the bird in hand? You know, so what do you guys know? You've never done a movie, right? Well, that was, (laughs) dude,
6: that was so, and one of these people said to me, You know, they're going to want to change things and open up the movie, and we're going to have to spend more money on a sound mix. That was what I was told about. Uh, So, let's do it.
0: And then Bingham Ray, and then Bingham Ray, you know, from USA Pictures, was like, you know, pretentious. He was like, I don't know. No, I don't like it. It's enough not for me. And so it's like, you know, and then we had people around the fence. Is there an audience for this? Is
6: there an audience
0: for like every Star Trek fan in the world is going to want to come see this?
6: You know, it's funny. It's true, because if New Line, if we had allowed New Line to pick up this movie, our, our lives might be very different. Yeah,
0: because Mark Ordesky, Mark Ordesky was in, um, was traveling that weekend. And so basically he came back and screened it on Monday or Tuesday and he didn't respond to it. But Rachel Horowitz, I can't believe I remember all this. She was, she 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 loved it and wanted to pick it up that weekend. They said, No, we're gonna. And at that point, it's like, you know, you're sort of insulting them by saying, Oh, well, we, yeah. we, we hope we can get a better deal down the street from Harvey and Bob. So um, they were just gonna screen it, you know, it's just it's 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 very frustrating. But you know, look, the movie is what it is. We're so proud of it. And it's so funny because you know, we talk about Shatner, but I remember those early meetings before we went into filming. You know, we, we talked about that first meeting when we're in his office, you know, to, where he was going to give us some notes on the script. And, you know, that's when Ricardo Montalbán called and and Chandler picks up the phone and goes, hello, Ricardo! And they're talking and you and I are like positively Dude. giddy because we're like, it's just like Star Trek 2. They talk but they never meet. And uh, we're just so excited <laughs> over the whole thing. And then, you know, he's explaining. We have that whole scene um, where he's talking about Omicron Three, And, um, and he says, you know, farming and, and something with Jill Ireland, right? And yep. he goes, and he goes, well, that actor, she died of cancer. So it would be better to reference the character's name in that particular episode. So I understand they have these encyclopedias, these books where you could look up the name. You go well, look at the one of the books. You could find one of these Star Trek guides and it'll tell you what character this yeah, actress I- played in this episode that you're referencing. <laughs> and Rob and I both yell out, Leela Colomi? And he goes... Right.
6: Yeah. (laughs) And then I was like, if that's the name of her character in that episode.
0: And, uh, and it was so funny because I think it was the first moment. I think he thought we were just being very cagey. We're exploiting Star Trek to make money. Like we're very smart. Thought You were trying
2: to trick him and make him believe that you were fans. So, but he didn't think we were actual, because how could these guys have
0: raised the money be making a movie? They can't be real fans. Little did he know. Little did he know.
3: Uh, Mark and Robert, uh, had an idea for a script which involved me because uh, they apparently as kids would uh, conjure me up and, and seek my advice and I in the as a figment of their imagination guru like would offer uh, wise pearls <clears throat> and uh, so they wrote the script uh, for fun uh, from what I understand you know uh, and uh, lo and behold beyond their expectations, their script sold, so now they had money to make a movie. So then they contacted me through some aid, you know, lawyers, things, and they said, uh, "Here's a script we'd like you to be in." So I read it, and I, this guru uh, talks and uh, offers pearls, and um, and uh, the Mark, the fictional Mark, and Robert <coughs> Fawn all over uh, Shatner, and uh, and discourse on the uh, on the aspects of his career. Well, it was just totally embarrassing. I mean, uh, it, it was bizarre. And I said, thank you very much. I, I don't want to be in it. And they proceeded to pursue me for a long time. <clears throat> and finally, uh, because I'd heard that they got the money and they were upset. And I know what it's like to look for money for independent production. So I called them.
0: And, I and it know. continued because, of course, we, you know, we talked about I'm air filling at the Iliad. You know, that rainy, rain-swept day, you know, and that was talking about a couple of great ad-libs, the mind Kampf thing and Salute to Cheese, but, you know, and him reading the, the Hustler magazine. But um, what was Sheet. so, yeah, but, at, at some point we were talking about, um, I don't know what brought it up, but we're talking about Angelique Pettyjohn. And Chatner overhears the conversation and with like a raised eyebrow worthy of Spock, he goes, who's Angelique Pettyjohn? And then he walks yeah. away and it was like, yeah. oh, you know, Bill, we know, you know. <laughs> We know exactly what happened there. I shall always remember you, James Kirk.
6: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, I look back and you know, we also had some pretty fun adventures because of it. Yes. We, we both did. got to go to Europe for the first time. Yeah. We went to Spain to the Sigis film festival where it actually had its debut. And, um, uh, the first night we were there is still one of the greatest nights of my life. And, uh, <laughs> I learned a very important lesson on that night. What was that, Rob? <laughs> well, when when someone offers you something that's amazing, and and there's no downside to it, the first thing you shouldn't think is, "Well, if this is my first night in Europe,
0: who knows <laughs> what's going to happen there.
6: tomorrow?" <laughs> and and it was it was a I learned how my very American way of thinking was, was, and, and I didn't even understand how wrong it was. This was in, in, um, this was actually in October of 1998. I learned this lesson and I didn't realize how wrong I was until Mark, you and I were back in Spain in 2011. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, yeah. We we're in 2011 and, and we were at a, a the same di- a discotheque and these three girls walked up to me and they said, you're Rob Burnett, aren't you? And I said, yep. And they said, do you remember a certain individual? And I said, remember, this is 12 years later. Yeah, I yeah, said, yeah, yeah. oh, yes, I do. And they're like, yeah, she still talks about you. That's you what, fucked up. That, <laughs> I'm like, that's why. Sentimental wow. problems,
0: they called it in Europe.
6: Sentimental, sentimental problems. problems. Yeah, Boy, I, 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 uh, I, uh, all I needed to do was keep, you know what? I should have heeded Yoda's advice. Never his mind on where he was. Bob, you made some pretty stupid mistakes doing. in your life, but that one has to take the cake. That was a dumb one. Uh, you know, you have one of the greatest nights of your life and someone says, hey, why stop now? And well, I'm like... "I want to keep his options open. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow, boy, that was uh, that was dumb, dumb, dumb.
0: We had so much fun. And we were really wondering, because the film was subtitled in uh, Spanish and Catalan, where, like, most people don't even speak English. Like, how is it going to play you know especially as a comedy right and we were so thrilled to see that fans are the same all around the world because it played really really well and a couple of years a uh, months later we found ourselves in paris uh, you know um convention in paris which was another <laughs> that was remarkable. a whole another experience yeah <laughs> that was wasn't it
6: that was no it was weird i mean and, and you know i'll tell you one of the the one of my favorite experiences when we were up in edmonton canada at the first half of the local heroes film festival. And, Mm. and, and our movie was on the same marquee with Arthur Hiller's film, the Americanization of Emily. And you remember
0: Mm. we hung out with that whole night,
6: John Landis. That's right. John Landis, but also Arthur Hiller was there. Yeah. 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 You know, and we got to talk to him and seeing that our movie on the same marquee with, 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 uh, with, uh, that, that film, which I love, you know, it was, it was a pretty amazing it was an amazing experience all the way around.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny people, people, uh, Tarantino you know, in Hawaii. Yeah. At the tree house in Hawaii. Yeah. When he started imitating, I Shatner, all the lines from the movie.
6: You'd seen the movie once and you knew every line of dialogue. It
0: was amazing. It was amazing. It was the first time we met Quentin. And it was, a it was a, what a, what a way to, to meet him in the tree house. We felt like the Ewoks. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, it was, you know, it's funny. And I know we sound like, I don't know how interesting these stories are for, but you know, um, it's not very often that we really have a chance to talk, tell these stories. It's been a long time since we've talked about this, and it's it's always a delight because it brings back such wonderful memories of, of friendship and filmmaking and and passion and um, yeah travel. Because you know, of course, the greatest adventure, the human adventure, was our trip to Cannes, where you know Bill took. <laughs> the, the, the SST, the Concorde, and we were in steerage, and um, on another plane <laughs> that barely got there, and uh, and he gave because in the movie he he wears this bomber jacket, this really he looks great in it, you know, a really great leather uh, jacket, and so the plan is for I him didn't to beam down. I parachuted <laughs> exactly, which was an ad lib from him, and uh, yeah. yeah,
6: well. Well, I, I actually told him to say that. Okay, bro. Because because he no because he might have.
0: Okay, right. that's true. You did tell him that. I know you told him that. Maybe you
6: did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> that because it was his it was his ad lib, and he's he and I said that's you got to say that. Yeah. No, that was
0: great. Look, that whole scene is great. You know, and it's in my real office at. Uh, at I remember that's that my real office. Um, so at the time, um, so. We um, so we go to Cannes and 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 Bill is going to give this leather jacket to um, Planet Hollywood Cannes, which was a big deal at the time. This was when Planet Hollywood was like a big deal, and so he's in front of like hundreds of the world press, paparazzi, and press, and all kinds of people, very excited, and he gives this wonderful speech. He goes, you know, he goes, I was in a thrift store in um, in Los Angeles, and I found out that this belonged to the great flying ace, Eddie Rickenbacker. And, um, and so I wore it in the movie and now I'm bringing this legendary jacket back to the beaches of France. And, uh, he comes off the stage and we're like, my God, Bill, that's amazing story. We had no idea the costume designer. Tell us. He goes, of course not. I made it up. <laughs> and it was like, and, and it was like, oh my God, he's, this is why he's Bill Shatner. Yeah. this is, he's so incredible because he, he was spellbinding and there was not an iota of truth to the story that he made (laughs) up. And, uh, I wish we hadn't given that jacket to planet Hollywood because I wish I still had it.
6: Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't really keep anything. No, I do not have much the film. You know, I got some posters and, you know, that's about it. Memories,
2: friends and eight by tens. (laughs) Memories, friends and eight by tens. That's
0: true. And, uh, but it was it was it was great and you know look I, you know as i've i've been very candid that i sometimes i don't like to talk about the movie because rob and i had a very um distressing experience on the sequel which was um two weeks less than two weeks away from uh going before cameras when it all fell apart unfortunately due to the machinations of a very unsavory character um and uh so i you know I, it's, it's besmirched the whole, experience for me the whole memory you know it's like if i could erase that i would be very happy
6: well no, and and i you know i continued on to try and keep it alive and it was an it was it it continued to be very unsavory (laughs) and to 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 even more so
0: yeah well I, i gotta tell you i think i think it'd be fun i think it'd be fun to buy a newspaper no i think it would be fun to um one day maybe read a few um pages from the script for enterprise two not today because this episode's already too long but um might be fun well, to get darren and the, some of the gang back together you, to read some of that
6: you know what i was thinking about that though um have you listened to like the audio drama of neil gaiman's the sandman i have not it's incredibly elaborately produced and it's on audible mm. i've often thought because it's too late to shoot a sequel to free enterprise. Yes. But we could do an audio drama and I bet we could get an incredible cast together.
0: I bet we could. Well, we had and, an incredible cast for free enterprise too. That's what's
6: so crazy. We no, had, we did, but you know, we could get our original cast for free enterprise back.
0: I, I did people. I wouldn't want to work with given uh, things that have happened in their lives.
6: That well, I, that's true.
0: But, uh but, but, you know, I, I, um. You know, certainly, I mean, we had like Elijah Dushku and we had um, uh, Richard Libertini Malcolm and John Polito and Malcolm McDowell and, and Bill, of course. And we just had this
6: incredible and David Hedison
0: and David Hedison. It would have been great. Most of them have passed away. It's really sad. Um, yeah. And and of course, I'm how desperate we were to try and get uh, Leonard and uh, some of his emails. One day I'll have to release those emails um, where he would write back and say, please leave me alone. Stop. Because, of course, when we recorded Bill for the, uh, the 70th birthday video we did for him, um, we, we we interviewed all these great people, Ben Stiller and everything, including Leonard Nimoy. We went to his house and he goes, yep. "Do I know you, gentlemen?" Because when well, we made the, uh, the the movie with William Shatner, Free Enterprise, and he goes, uh, "Get out of my house!" And we wanted to put that <laughs> in the way. He says, "He says, you you talk about how great Captain Kirk is and how he changed your lives. What about Spock?"
2: <laughs>
6: yeah, he was very. was very, And I could never tell
0: if he was joking or not, because we had heard that he was at a screening. One of some usher had told us that Leonard had shown up to a weekday screening of Free Enterprise at the Century Plaza with the ABC Entertainment when it was still there and sat in the back and watched it. So we knew he had seen the movie, but never knew what he thought of it. And he told us. Wow. (laughs) Yep. Yes, he did.
2: Of course, for the uh, David Hedison role, we could always get Jeff Goldblum
0: yeah that's right <laughs> well you know one of my favorite even though it was a cameo is like the whole premise of free enterprise 2 is about rob's gonna get married uh, to, to claire and um and chatner uh, decides to become a rabbi so he can you know I'll be, we, at first we're like you, you know he says i'm gonna i'm gonna conduct the wedding and we're like you're not a real ships captain you, you can't do that he goes no but i'm gonna become a rabbi and so he disappears and they go on this worldwide thing and he brings peace to the middle east and um but at, at one point there's this whole scruple comedy sequence and they're trying to, um, he's trying to get to the wedding and, um, or Mark's trying to get to the wedding and hes he he opens this reception hall and it's not Chatner or whoever he's looking for. It's not its not their wedding, it's Richard Hatch and he's conducting right. a bow circle after your wedding. And they're like, oh, wrong room. And he goes, may the lords of Cobalt bless you, dude. And it's just this little <laughs> nothing cameo, but it's so, it's just wacky. And then, you know, Shatner and Mark and they finally- Make it to where Rob and Claire are about to get married, and Shatner conducts the wedding, and it's actually just lovely. Yeah, it
6: is. Did we I mean, keep the scene?
0: The, we had a post-credit scene I, 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 where where um, they, Rob and and Claire have kids, and and their kids are conjuring up now instead of Shatner, um, Janeway.
6: <laughs> well, like- you know what else we had in it. We had a, a final scene where there was a running joke in the sequel where Shatner was going to have a show called William Shatner's Extreme Adventures.
0: Oh, yes. That's and right. that was
6: a running joke. And he was going, the last scene in the movie was going to be, well, over the credits was he was going on the space shuttle with Richard Branson.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot he about was, that. He was
6: actually going up into space and they were going on the last shuttle. And and he he thro- slaps a, uh, a, a bumper sticker on it that said Virgin Galactic.
0: Oh, my God. The,
6: and it shuts the door shut and then it rockets off. And, and we were going to shoot footage of the very last shuttle launch.
0: Rob, I haven't thought about that in, in 10 years. But I remember writing a letter to Branson, seeing if he would do the movie. I remember writing that that letter, the
6: tears yep. letter to Richard Branson. And how crazy is it? The bastard yeah. went and did it. He went and did it, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He That's, went, I mean, can you imagine if we'd actually pulled the movie off and got that made and that was the end of the film and Shatner actually then went out been, into space? It would
0: have been extra, extraordinary. It
1: would have been extraordinary.
6: No, there was a lot of things in the Free Enterprise Wrath of Shatner script that was very forward thinking. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, there was a lot in there that was great and it would have been awesome. and and. uh Pam Greer was going to be in it. Pam Greer was going to be had in such it. Such a good cat. I don't know. Now I'm getting excited. I don't want to talk about it. I know it's one of those things. You know, it's the one that got away. I might have had more of a career. <laughs> it was not to be Cherie. exactly. But um, but you know what? The, the movie we did make, Free Enterprise, it's a wonderful love letter to Bill, to our fandom, to our friendship. Uh, we made it, like you said, with a great creative team. Many mm-hmm. people were still friends with, very close friends with. Um, so great to be able to get so many of them into the movie. People like Darren, people like Gab Stanton, people like um uh um Eric Wallace, you know, all these people who were in the in the film. Um and uh you know, of course I and look, I met my wife because of Free Enterprise, not that she had anything to do with the movie, but she was a huge fan. I met her at a yeah. film festival and and it was the only reason she stopped to talk to me was she she liked the free enterprise hat She was a huge fan of the movie. So uh it's uh so I owe that movie a, a lot. Yep. Uh, So, um, and uh, I'm glad you know here on the what 23rd anniversary. Crazy, crazy. I I I can't believe it. I mean, 1999. I should always remember it because, you know, I associate with space 1999, and that day we went out and looked to, to see if the moon was still there. Well,
6: it's funny if we ever get to do a remastered version, the movie opened with a with a tagline that says the near present. Yeah, and I've always thought that if we I did a version of it. The near past. Well, no, I, I, the movie should open on September 13th, 1999, oh. <laughs> because in the end credits, it says September 13th, 1999. And it, because it's a period piece now. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So if we yeah.
6: remaster the film for people who hadn't seen it, if it opens, we now, it actually is a, it's a That's setup funny. that is later paid off in the opening or the end credits. Well, Rob, it was a period
0: piece then because we refused to admit the DVDs would destroy Laserdisc. So everyone's talking about their Laserdisc, even though it was kind of like the, the, the lasers were already going away and DVDs were already becoming a thing, but we refused to admit it. So everyone's yeah, talking about Laserdisc the whole which movie. Which,
6: If we get to remaster no, when we get to remaster, it just add, adds resonance to the movie. And that's why I think we should open it with that. December, I love that. Um, I love September that. 13, September 13th, 1999, you know, that's so gets, great
0: in the font. <laughs>
6: Yes.
2: Yes. In
6: the yeah, font. You heard it here in, first, guys. In, girls. The, in the font.
2: Uh, the name of that font, by the way, is Braggadocio. Well, of course, we're of bragging course it about is. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is funny. And of course, we had the greatest closing credits of all time, which was just a complete lark by Rob and I, and people still talk about those closing credits, you know. <laughs> I love it. Good princess, Leia, bad princess, Ardala. Yeah. And, you know, wise guy, Ken Wall, <laughs> you know, Vinnie Turnover, And it's just like, I mean, we have all these weird um, uh, little things. And then, of course, it ends with um, and uh, William Shatner will return and William Shatner versus the World Crime League, which much like that famous sequel never <laughs> saw the light of a projector bulb, sadly.
6: No. Well, Darren, have, another dream that failed <laughs> there's nothing sadder the impossible has <laughs> happened
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean and there's so many um uh, a star trek even in the adr i remember um uh during the party like when we were doing the looping we added just say i'm for you lieutenant diavato we throw it. there's so much stuff in there that like to unpack it would it's it, Hours could feel like days. I mean, it was just like so much in there. And we, you know, we didn't even talk about Chatner rapping. You know, of course, he wants to do this
1: one-man show. You're a living legend. Thanks, Rick. Mark. Mark.
3: Let's stop talking about my love. Now, I've been giving this a great deal of thought. And I think I should write the music as well.
1: That's great, Bill. Hey, maybe you're better off without this woman. You know, now you're free to concentrate on the work.
3: When's our meeting with uh, Full Eclipse? Because I, I've got a great xylophone player and a great bongo player for the story pitch meeting. And they're great, man. And I am ready,
0: and I am rare to go. I've got the perfect toga. No one will ever believe this. And we partnered him with a rapper who was, uh, used to be with Tupac in Tupac's, uh, Tupac's Posse.
6: Yeah, and now he's in obese San Luis Obispo for life.
0: Yeah, I know, but uh, at the time... <laughs> I'll never forget, you know, talking to them and saying, you know, Bill Shatner's coming here to collaborate on the song. And we're in the studio underneath the, you know, and he comes pulling up in his convertible Jag. And they're all like little schoolboys, Like, and, and uh, it was amazing. And like Captain, King, Captain Kirk. And he gets and gets old real fast. And it was like, oh, man. Like, and then, but then they got along like crazy. and remember he started telling the story. Somehow we we're talking about how uh, Julius Caesar was a lot like Martin Luther King. Yep. And they started explaining why and how and we thought, "Oh my where you, God, me go with this bill yeah, yeah but it, it, was, it was amazing. They were in the palm of his hands, and by the time bill drives away, they're all like, goodbye Bill, goodbye and these are hardcore yeah. gangster rappers they loved it was amazing
6: him. it was amazing, yeah
0: so that oh. was uh, June 4th uh, or September 13th, 1999 <laughs> September 13th, 1999 <laughs> yeah it was pretty it was pretty cool.
2: made good times. You're darn right, and the funny thing about it is that at the time that you guys were shooting, I was just starting to uh, deal with uh, Robert Wise and the uh, and the Motion Picture Directors Edition. Another wow. another
0: dream, another dream fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I so mean,
2: it's it's like a double anniversary.
0: It is. That's true. Except yours <laughs> came out. We're still well, waiting. <laughs> <laughs> the Patience. Yeah. Patience.
6: Soon you will be with him.
0: but uh, uh, what I love about it is it's such um, it pays homage to Bill and it pays homage to how important Star Trek was to us and why I think it captures why we love Star Trek and why that character Captain Kirk was so important to us and the generation of people who grew up on the original Star
6: Trek Absolutely. Someday it will return.
0: Stronger. It just. Faster. More intense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> God, I just, it just brings back such fond memories. All those times, uh, you know, we work on the script, you know, it's like two in the morning. Oh, let's go to In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> <which> <laughs> and I would just hop in the car and go to the drive-thru. It was the only time you didn't have to wait at, at the drive-thru for
6: an hour. Or Jer- go to Jerry's Deli.
0: Or Jerry's Deli, which is everything's gone. It's all gone it's, now. It's all gone. It's all gone. All this, all the stuff we show on the film, first day of shooting at, at Cartoonsville, gone. You know, um, Jerry's Deli, gone. Um, uh, Bombay Bicycle Club, Garden of Eden, the ga- the the Galaxy Theater in Hollywood, gone, gone, gone. They're all gone.
6: All of it's gone.
0: And it's gone, just like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Um, and then we had the soundtrack come out, which was awesome.
6: That was awesome. Yeah. Well, that's was really good. It was great.
0: I mean, so anyway, okay. Before we get, uh, you know, no, you know, but uh, okay, modeling, not at yeah. all. but uh, and 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 you know, it's so funny because the one thing people don't realize is, you know, the original cast was going to be Christian Slater and Samantha Massett, and uh, <laughs> Christian ended up going to jail, and we didn't want to push, and and nope. and so we ended up, you know, shooting with a, a very different cast, and um, obviously Samantha didn't want to do it without um, Christian. They yep. didn't pump them up, but we got Audie Englund, who was just wonderful. Just a sweetheart, and we saw her a couple years ago at the, um, the at San Diego Comic Con, and it was so wonderful to see her. She yeah. is so sweet.
2: Now you, yeah. you said Christian Slater, right? Yeah, Christian yeah. Slater. Because I, I thought you said Christian Bale, and that would be no, 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 Christian Slater, Plus not Christian, yeah, Christian Bale, Christian
0: Slater. Yeah, pump up the volume. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Sulu's, dance, dance, Sulu's uh, Sulu's yeoman.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So Darren, is there anything you want to add? Anything we missed? Look, um, every every uh, every memory uh, comes flashing back to me, yeah. and it, it was such a, a a fun time and a a, a, a mind expanding time, and um, I, I'm just I'm just glad that I was able to share some of that with you guys, and uh, I I will never forget it, and it'll always be a big part of my life.
0: But that's why you're such a good friend to us, because I mean you were so supportive through the whole process. You were always there for us. There was nothing you weren't willing to jump in and help, and um, you know it meant a lot. And we were lucky well, to have you.
2: If if Free Enterprise Two had happened, I wasn't really happy with my scene, and I would have demanded some rewrites. But it would have been like uh,
0: Clemenza. <laughs> we would have had to recast you.
2: That's right.
6: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would have rewritten that stuff anyway. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, wanna, was... I want an associate to write my dialogue.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'll bring it out right. He would have
6: gotten it yeah. done. Yeah. already yeah. would have got
0: it done. <laughs> anyway, well, look, this was an interesting walk down memory lane and, 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 um, you know uh i just i wonder like did you go see poltergeist the day after star trek 2 opened because obviously we all saw star trek 2 opening day
6: oh i i did as a matter of fact i i saw star trek 2 four times opening day at the john dance theater and yeah. they had a laser show mm. before every show they showed the trailer with a laser show mm. um and then uh it was it was i went down that was in bellevue washington and i went downtown to the town theater where Poltergeist was showing in 70mm. Oh,
2: wow. That's funny because I saw it at the Jack Nance Theater. Named after Racerhead? You... <laughs> no. <laughs> I, uh, I I saw Star Trek 2
0: twice opening day. The first time to watch it, the second time to record it on my hidden tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I went to see Poltergeist the next day. Yeah, I did too.
2: I didn't see Poltergeist until it was on video. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. Oh, I
2: was too busy watching Star Trek 2.
0: I understand. It was a, in the theater, it was a Lowe's, so they had the Paramount movies and then MGM. So it was on screen one was structure two, screen two was Poltergeist. They had the MGM uh, well, and the, the Paramount titles.
6: You know, we're recording this right on the verge of this anniversary, but but June 2022 is the 40th anniversary of E.T., The Thing, Blade Runner. I've heard the that story. The Road Warrior had come out. Yeah. The oh, that's right. ever. But it was the greatest oh, month? geek month ever. It was the greatest geek month ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of
0: Megaforce. <laughs> yeah, Deeds, yeah. not words. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the good guys always win, even in the 80s. So anyway, that's enough indulgence. But, you know, for, for a lot of you, you've been asking about, you know, hearing more about Free Enterprise and these stories. And, you know, we figure we've given you 52 episodes a year. We might as well uh, take one of them to talk about the, the film that brought us all together. Yep. You know, and uh, and here we are. Um, so uh, thank you for joining us and indulging us. Thank you, Rob Byer-Burnett, for joining us once again here on the show. And you can follow Rob Daly on the Burnett Network, where he uh, brings imagination connoisseurs around the world. The to latest on genre happenings. So um, there you go. So check him out. Um, and you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram and all that. He also has a moth like a moth to the flame. I know the moth. I had the door
6: open and the moth. Uh, David Edison.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and of course, we want to thank Mark Rivera for mixing this episode. And uh, again, congratulate him on the birth of his uh, baby girl. And um, we want to thank our producers, Pete Holmstrom, Matt and Alan Scali, and you, of course, for sticking around as we take this walk down memory lane. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Inglorious Trekspert. So until then, on behalf of Robert, Darren, and myself, Mark Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course.
3: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. No tears, tears, tears for Caesar.
5: The evil that
3: men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest. For Brutus is an honorable man. So are they all. All honorable men. Honorable men. Honorable men. This was a man. This was a man. No tears for Caesar.
5: We travel, staff, good. It's life so gentle. At work, it is not in the stars, but in ourselves. That eat is grown so great. For fake, the greatest Roman of all. No tears cease. That is what they they the man, the wood king, counts stop many times. Four deaths, the plague went deep. Love ran, rain, sits down. Chill, we hate the peace. Seize rest of down peace. It's A good man makes nature. and hate us. Beasts. Sacrifice for so so beliefs. The the most watch worth more. Roman Julius the sword for Brutus. For dreams to Julius Caesar no seats Great hero, no tears to see. No need to solve evil oh, the evil that you do. Will come back to you, don't, don't cross Caesar. La, la, God, lay, don't, don't, cry, don't Caesar. the sky, so far. Evil oh, The evil that you do. Don't, don't cross Caesar. Beware the eye. Hear the evil that you speak, but don't backstab me, my like brutus to the cease, those round, cross round, say it true. The evil that men do, the thief though, don't off me. Fall, cease, fall, the doubt so more.
3: Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. He hath brought many captives home to Rome whose ransoms did the general coffers fill did this in Caesar seem ambitious when that the poor have cried Caesar hath wept ambition should be made of sterner stuff yet brutus says he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man the
5: evil will come back to you don't cry ambitious Uh, don't cry and Keep to the sky Kyle will stop many times Before death, the blade went deep Blood ran away, stamp, Kill him, regain the beast Seems to rest in peace He's now deceased, a good man Makes the nature and haters Sacrifice for police, let's You all peace.
3: did see that on the looper call I thrice Presented him a kingly crown, which he did Thrice refuse, was this ambition? Yet Brutus says he was ambitious. And sure he is an honorable man. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here I am to speak what I do know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? Oh, judgment, thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me. My heart is in the coffin there with Caesar, and I must pause till it come back. Then fall, season.
5: Then fall, stop, 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 then fall fall, Caesar All oh, the Beware the eyes start, oh, start, you kill, Stop No tears for season. Kill,
3: stop, no kill, tears stop, for the man Kill, stop,
5: kill stop, them kill, kill Cry havoc
3: Let's slip the dogs of war
2: War, war,
5: war,
3: war. Don't
5: cross these, we're lost. Don't cross don't cross Don't cross
3: these, you. not do